0: We have to start this episode with an apology. I never apologize. <laughs> that's a, that's a good fault. credo in life. Just nothing's mm-hmm. your fault. Yeah, that's how I live. If anything, it's the crooked media that the we crooked media. They've been saying terrible things. They're terrible people. Yeah, and frankly, I don't think they love this country. No, I don't either. I it, you know every movie villain is a person in glasses and a little notepad. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're really the bad guys. <laughs> The glasses thing, I kind of believe you. Uh, the notepad thing, I think it's training credulity a little bit. I still use a little notepad. <laughs> Granted, yeah, I'm not a journalist, but you're a nerd, <laughs> exactly. And I like to write yeah. things down. Not not notes. I can't type up with my. I can't type things on my phone with my fat fingers. It Takes me twenty minutes to do a, a text message. It's annoying. Yeah, we we know, Greg. We know. <laughs> It's okay, You're. I'm the only I person you text, myself. So. No, John, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to counteract this with, no, Greg, you're smart and brilliant, and your fingers aren't mm-hmm. too fat. Nope. That's what a supportive family member does. I don't apologize, <laughs> and I don't lie. I'm a straight shooter. Straight. Respected on all sides. Mm-hmm. Ugh, but I guess we should explain. We were on vacation last week. Oh, yeah, we had a little family reunion. Up in New Hampshire? Yes. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. And... It enabled us to get a little special guest on the episode, but we'll save that for later. Yes, we'll save that for later. But yes, we, uh, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast, where we discuss old ephemera that is considered a classic and we reevaluate it. Yeah. I'm going to call it ephemera, John. That makes it sound trivial, it makes it sound <laughs> less significant. This, this is important work we're doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Because, John, pop culture is so important. It is so important. Okay. I know. Guys, this is the most important thing. Yeah, black people are getting shot and <laughs> racists are out and about. But this, this. Uh, but is the but did you see last week's Game of Thrones? Pretty, pretty big. I mean. <laughs> anyway, what did we watch this week, Greg? I know. Yeah. Sorry for bringing it in. I like to keep it light and fluffy. Yeah, but immediately we do, we get into politics and, and other divisive issues. But not today. No, not today. <laughs> no. Instead, instead, let's let's ensconce to the to the English countryside. <laughs> Let's put on our motorboards, John. (laughs) And our boba hats. (laughs) Yes, and scarves. We're fancy boys. (laughs) Boys, most fancy. (laughs) Yes, this week we're discussing the 1981 winner for the Best Picture Oscar, Chariots of Fire.
1: And remember those few young men with hope in our hearts and wings on our heels. Bye.
0: Yeah, it's, right. ama- it's amazing. It's more of a it's more of a score than a movie at this point. Exactly, and a, that mimetic shot of the gentleman running along the beach Mm-hmm. to that you know. And uh, okay, okay. what? Well, uh, all right, that is the most <laughs> famous shot of the movie. Yes, and it doesn't happen until the very end, and it is. What are you talking about? Nothing. It happens in the opening sequence. It's the opening. Oh, credits. the opening sequence. Yeah, it bookends the movie, but it has nothing to do with anything. Well, it, no, it does. It introduces us to our four main characters. Well, two main characters and other people who listen to them whine and complain. <laughs> okay, All that's right. not true. Yeah, that's only only one character does that. All Sorry, right. cards but, on the, yeah, cards, cards on the, on the table. table. I really love this movie. Now, granted, a lot of that is is kind of personal to me uh, because I ran cross country in high school, so obviously I'm an expert in running. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I, I just identify with the characters. They they're very spiritual. They're very learned, and so. Uh, I identify with kind of the the main conflict and kind of source, just the source of energy behind the movie. What little there is. Because <laughs> this is a prestige drama. It's very heavy, very stolid in its tone and setting. And you know, basically, essentially, it fits every stereotype you have of a costume drama designed to win Oscars. Even though it's released, uh, what is it now, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. And kind of defined the genre. But in spite of that, I still really enjoy this movie. Um, however, you had never seen it before. <laughs> Jay no, wake up! <laughs> oh, 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 sorry, sorry, excuse me, sorry. <sighs> now, as many people know, I have the amazing ability to surmise any movie with one word. Yes, go ahead. That word today is boring. <laughs> this movie is boring. I had a feeling you, you would say this. This movie, despite all its pedigree as a period piece and a Costume drama has nothing going on i was never for a second invested in any of these characters lives okay i recently watched uh, lost city of z oh yeah which was a movie i was really looking forward to and i was really hoping i would love and it's a very good movie but there's something about it that's so austere yeah it feels like it's keeping me at arm's length and this is definitely the case with chariots of fire way worse where it's like let me in movie let me get invested <laughs> in you come on meet me halfway here because there's no subtext going on everything we know about the characters is because they blatantly tell you like (laughs) i must run (laughs) and i was thinking a lot about um there will be blood recently and and a lot of these period pieces i feel like just need that you know there will be blood energy i want kind of like kind of that darkness well what kind of energy okay you mean darkness uh, a little more challenging like this is not a challenging movie in any way no, like this is a, this is a PG rating. You can show this to an eight-year-old or an 80-year-old, and <laughs> I think one will enjoy it more than the other. Exactly. Yeah. The eight-year-old will be like, yay, white costumes and slow motion. <laughs> Ironically, both will probably fall asleep. I don't oh, oh, know. Okay. I Okay. Upon reviewing it, I, w- I will say this. You're right. The drama is always kind of at arm's length. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, let's get to one thing. You said this movie's not subtextual. The problem is mm-hmm. so I think there is subtext going on. The problem is it's either A obviously explained or B so far kind of removed that it doesn't really engage you. Mm-hmm. And so you get I'm, the sense you get the sense that it's like trying to play with these themes, but it yeah. doesn't really do it in an interesting way and feels I don't know, it felt kind of half-assed to me. Yeah. So uh, I'll explain to you kind of just my biggest criticism it's it's at one scene at the very beginning. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just premise, background, this is about the 1924 British track and field team that triumphed at the Olympics. They won multiple medals, including multiple golds. And so we follow uh, four runners from that team. Uh, Eric Little, a Scottish missionary. uh, Harold Abrahams, uh, a Cambridge educated fancy boy. (laughs) (laughs) Lord Lindsay, uh, kind of an energetic, you know, happy dude. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then Aubrey, who's uh, Harold Abrams' listening piece, for all the all the mild anti-Semitism that he faces. I also got a lot of Dunkirk in this movie because I could not tell any of them. <laughs> this is true, <laughs> except for Harold, obviously, because Harold is of Jewish ancestry, so he kind of sticks out from yeah, the Yeah, well, thanks, John. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not a big part of the movie? I'm sorry. Well, I mean, not not that. His only distinguishing features are very uh, skeletal face and brown curly hair. That's about it. And that big nose. That big crook nose. <laughs> oh, I hear his father's a money lender. What does that tell you? <clears throat> anyway, we'll get, we'll get to the, the theme of that later. Um, but this happens at the very beginning. We follow Harold Abrahams, him and his companion. <laughs> Because again, he's a fancy boy The whole time I was just like, God, just start making out already (laughs) (laughs) No, later, we'll talk about his romance later But Mm. it kind of very, very subtly sets up uh, a lot of the theme of the movie And wherein they're off to Cambridge, you know, the highest class university in the world Uh, They're both in their best best suits, everybody's impeccably dressed in this movie and uh they get in the car and there are two guys who are who are obviously disfigured and it strongly implies that they're great war veterans they're world war one veterans Mm -hmm. and so they just load up their car they give them a tip and you know uh one of the one of the porters one of the porters who has an obvious disfigurement says like well that's our lot in life you know we fight the war so they they can go off and get their education and so Mm -hmm. yes it sets up the subtext that there's there's class division there's obviously, uh, as we get to later, there's anti-Semitism against Harold Abrahams, but that that's it. Like, there's one token yeah. acknowledgement of it, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so you're right, yeah, it's, it, it's never brought to the fore. Like, if you want to compare this to, again, I think a far superior movie... <laughs> there will be blood even though I like Chariots of Fire there will be blood is a very far superior movie because you're right there is an intensity and a drama behind that that just is is kind of unfortunately kind of condensed in Chariots of Fire yeah you get again you get little hints of that Abrams at one point admits to his lover like you know he he has a compulsion female lover we should explain it (laughs) he has a compulsion to run it's like it's what drives him Mm -hmm. this competitive spirit but again, like, it needed some, like, touch of darkness. Like, I never got a sense that he was, like, obsessed and it was driving him away from family and friends. It kind of does, but then she's like, I'll wait for you. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's yeah. not maximized for the drama. Like, I can I can imagine, okay, this is a nice story. Uh, a Olympic team from England of, of a somewhat diverse set of backgrounds, you know, kind of comes together. They collaborate and they try and for the mm. gold. Like, that's a nice mm. story. No. No. <laughs> I thought here's it was a nice why. story, but it's not it's no, not maximized for dramatic potential. Okay, why is that not good? Because all sports movies rely on a certain level of underdoggedness. Okay. How are these people underdogs in any way whatsoever? Well this is this is another little point where Again, it's, it's not, like oh it's dear. If we do not get our gold medals, we'll have to return to our manners in the English countryside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where it's not maximized for its potential, uh, because or its dramatic potential, because as as we say, um, even though Harold Abrahams is a is a Cambridge educated, you know, he excels in study and in extracurriculars. He's also a singer. Even even though he does that, he still faces anti-Semitism, which doesn't really prevent. Okay. Him from... No. Yes. That's the thing. They keep bringing up the point that he's of Jewish ancestry yeah, and that people always look like are leery towards him because of that. But I can't think of one instance besides maybe the two uh, teachers at Cambridge kind of commenting on the fact that he's Jewish, like kind of far above. Like, mm-hmm. where did he face any anti-Semitism? It's not like we ever saw him get, like, turned down for a job. Uh, we saw it when he's moving into his dormitory at Cambridge <laughs> And we see it in one meeting with two administrators who, who, are actually, who actually call the meeting because they're worried that he's not an amateur. He's hired a professional coach to train him in yeah, running. Yeah, but that and, didn't have anything to do with the fact that he's Jewish. No. But, uh, well, there's token nods to it, I think. Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of kind of racism in that scene because he mentions the fact that his coach is half Italian and half Arab. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, that sounds like a perfect introduction to one positive that we have in the movie. Well, the MVP of this movie is obviously Ian Home. Ian Home, as he is the as he is the MVP of all movies that yeah. he is in. I think we said this in our Alien episode. If we have a Rush Mount Rushmore of, <laughs> of mm-hmm. our favorite actors, <laughs> Ian Holm is definitely in that courted, quartet. Quartet, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Courted>. quartet. <Yeah. laughs> Nobody courted. knows what the quartet is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he plays um, a coach, Sam Mussolini, Mussolini, Moose Muss- Beeny, Musabini. Musabini, Yes, and uh, he coaches. Abrams so he can, you know, reach his full potential. And also, you know, token hinting at a theme, both the character, both the two main characters, uh, Abrams and Lindy, is it Lindy? Uh, Eric Lytle. Lytle. Yeah. That's Abrams. his main rival. Yeah. So I, I guess we should briefly talk about Abrams. Abrahams is a Jewish man. His, his, his kind of main rival in the movie is a guy named Eric Lytle, who's Scottish, um, also mm-hmm. somewhat educated, but he's a Christian missionary. And that's a big part of his character, is the fact that he's extremely yeah. devout. And we'll we'll get to the climax of the movie in a second. <laughs> but there is this kind of, like, hint, this theme of God-given talent. Is, yeah, that they've been um, blessed. They're both spiritual people, and they yeah. feel that they've been blessed by God with this talent. And there's this idea that, like, is athleticism gifted or is it earned? And so the fact that he has to get a coach is kind of, like, admitting that, all right, I have to work for this a little bit. Well, he Which, also, I guess, kind of, what I was kind of thinking is, like, maybe this is, again, going back to the subtext of the fact that he's Jewish. The Jews are considered the chosen people. And the fact that he kind of has to work to be the better runner is probably something that is not exactly something he's used to. Yeah, uh, well, he does mention that. This is early in the movie. Again, you might have fallen asleep at this point. <laughs> 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 because, again, that you don't feel the dramatic stakes, especially at the beginning. Like, there's no real inciting incident or nothing to really pull you in until a first race around a courtyard. Mm-hmm. But uh, after that race, he, he, he speaks to Aubrey, his friend, <laughs> again, his, mm-hmm. his, his, his listener, his companion, <laughs> who just, who just receives all this, all the complaints of uh, all the complaints of the anti-Semitism and uh, struggles that he faces. Mm-hmm. He says like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna outwork and outrun everybody, even though they, even though they're prejudiced against me because of my Jewish heritage, um, I'm just gonna outwork them. So that, that, that's right. It does, it, that does come to the fore when he's both training with Musabini and also kind of textually when he talks with Aubrey. Or talks mm. at Aubrey, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So we keep bringing up the fact that Abrams and Lindell. Uh, You've Lind- said that four times. It's Abrahams. I know, I know it should be Abrams, but come on. Abrahams mm-hmm. and Lindell are these rivals. They don't meet until an hour into the movie. This is true and they never run a race against each other <laughs> well they won, well yes they won they run one race against each other which seems pretty climactic that's a turning point in the movie when um it's the first time we see abrahams lose a race mm-hmm. and, and again, so this, this is, is this, this is, is, is the, the incident motive. that gets him to uh hire sam as the coach yes and mm-hmm. so you're right that's kind of the big turning point that's probably that's probably where it's the most dramatic too because we keep replaying the race and uh his, his girlfriend at the time is trying to console him, and so it's, it's, it's kind of the dramatic high point, but <laughs> you're right, uh, <laughs> if, if I, I get your criticism of the movie, wherein it's not, ex- it's not exactly huge theater when he's sitting in an empty stadium after the race, and it's replaying in slow motion, and again, I think it's compelling, but yeah, it's not going to hold an audience's attention today. Exactly. It it felt like a Michael Mann movie, you know? It's like, oh, we got this great rivalry, now let's just keep them separated for the whole movie. (laughs) This
1: is absolutely ridiculous. It's a race you've lost, not a relative. Nobody's dead. For goodness sake, snap out of it, Harold. You're behaving like a child. I lost. I know. I was
0: there, remember, watching. It was mine. You were mine. He was Mormon, that's all. On the day the best man won... I had to look for him. It's absolutely fundamental you never look. He was ahead. There was nothing you could have done. He won fair and square.
1: Well, that's that, Abrams.
0: Well, if you can't take a beating,
1: perhaps it's for the best. I don't run to take beatings! I run to win. If I can't win, I won't run.
0: If you don't run, you can't win. Well, let's get to... We've, we have briefly mentioned him. Let's get to my favorite part of the movie, and that is the character of Eric Little. Yeah, so he is a man of two worlds, of two minds. <laughs> he wants yeah. to dedicate himself to running. He feels like God has given him this ability, and he must use it for the glory of God. But mm-hmm. also he feels called to return to China, his birthplace, because, again, that's where his mission was. So he's really unsure of what he should do for most of the movie. Yeah, well, initially he he really does, or those two things do come together. So he's like a he makes these celebrity appearances at these track meets, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously because he's the most talented and he wins the race. But then afterwards, you see him give these sermons, pretty much, and he's got everyone's mm-hmm. ear now. And yeah. it's like the it's like the like these two aspects of him are working hand in hand. There's uh there's his. Uh, what's implied is God-given talent in running. And then it becomes, and then it's a, it's a great filter into his sermons and his preaching the message of God. Mm-hmm. However, this is, this, what I like later is when the two, those two aspects of his life start to contradict. Mm-hmm. There's a, and there's his, uh, there's his wife or I think girlfriend or there's Jenny. Yeah. Who, when he starts, girlfriend. when he starts training, he, he, she excoriates him like, you're not giving any time to the mission anymore. You're just consumed with your training. And, um, that's when he delivers his most famous line, like, uh, God gave me a purpose, and that's to be a missionary, but he also made me fast. And so, like, when I feel like I'm running, like, I feel, I feel like God is pleased by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jenny, you go do the missionary now. <laughs> you go do the <laughs> missions now. <laughs> and that's especially true in, like, kind of the final climactic race. We see, like, this expression on his face where he's just kind of, like, so filled with joy, not just because he's won, but also because, again, this is where he's at his best piece. Yeah. At his most, at his greatest, piece is when he's you know glorified God and you know used the gifts that the, his talents. Well, then mm-hmm. it also ties into the other big, big dramatic moment.
1: Oh <laughs> hold yes, on, yeah. Hold on, to your guys. Seat, the kids. stakes
0: are so high, <laughs> it's so high. We're gonna go to a back room and sit and talk about this for twenty minutes. <laughs> so he's uh, competing in the nineteen twenty four Olympics. Yes, in Paris. Unfortunately, they- unfortunately, unfortunately, his race is scheduled for a sunday the, the sabbath. sabbath yeah <gasps> what are <laughs> we gonna do he, he can't run on the sabbath in fact earlier in the movie we saw him you know excoriate a little kid uh, hey sunday's no day for football son <laughs> that's or, the excuse, lord's excuse, day excuse. <laughs> sunday's no day for football son <laughs> and we get that nice little uh, flashback in case you know no child left behind <laughs> <laughs> hey okay it's it's <laughs> artfully done Mm. I like I like what Hugh Hudson did with those little with the little editing touches and flashbacks. Yes. I I actually like that. Yes. Yeah, so for twenty minutes, this is the big dramatic stakes that have been raised: <gasps> is he going to run or not? Yes. And then his friend comes in and says, "Like I'll run for you." <laughs> oh, great! Cool. Well, John, it's a great it's great teamwork. They they they, they reach a compromise. They say it enables Abraham's to run the one hundred meter dash solo. Mm-hmm. It enables uh, Eric Little to run the four hundred meter uh, race solo. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, they come together as a team. And the guy who came with the idea, Lord Lindsay, he uh, gets to win a silver medal in the hurdles. So good for him too. Again, everyone comes together. Yay! <laughs> awesome. So uh, yeah, So no, it's not exactly the 1980 U.S. hockey team miracle on ice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the tr- the stakes the are other- not pitched that high. But, yeah and the other weird thing is watching uh you know olympics take place where there are no black people <laughs> <laughs> this and is like true. oh really this is the pinnacle of human athletics right here a bunch yeah. of white guys from great britain mm, yes. all right <laughs> okay. yes okay there there are a couple of black faces in there <laughs> when you said yeah you said this is a sports movie and you expected them to be the complete underdogs uh again the movie only kind of Half plays with its dramatic stakes, but it does set up the United the United States and this one runner, Schultz, as mm-hmm. kind of the, the the top, the cream of the, the cream of the crop, the best runners in the world. Um, but mm-hmm. even then, they're not pitched as villains, really. No, because yeah, again, uh, that would be too exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I like the little nuance of that. I like uh, before Eric Little's big race, um, Schultz isn't running in the four hundred meters like Little is, but uh, he goes over to him, shakes his hand. You know, it's a nice little moment of camaraderie. Hmm. <laughs> Obviously, obviously I could see you were as compelled by that as I was. I want my sports movies to be very over the top, and I want them very obvious. Okay. This movie barely reaches that, (laughs) barely goes into that territory. Okay. I want my villains like Ivan Drago. I want my Clubber Langs. (laughs) I I basically wanted this movie to be Rocky, okay? I wanted this (laughs) to be a Rocky movie. (laughs) Well, Rocky, uh, interestingly enough, also won Best Picture, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what... That's, unfortunately, the movie's reputation now is that um, not only is it the the world-famous score now, but mm. also that it won Best Picture, and it's not, it wasn't necessarily deserved. Mm. Because the heavy favor coming into that year was actually a Warren Beatty movie called Reds, and it was about the Soviets back in the day. That was another costume drama. Nah. Well, so the other thing about the score is it instantly dates this movie, because <laughs> there are a lot of synthesizers. <laughs> yeah. Um... You're right about that. I, that's on second viewing. I see this. This is definitely a product of the '80s, mm-hmm. and that is a synth, inf- uh, an electronic synth-infused score. There is, which I actually, actually, I still admire and still find it extraordinary. The the uh, composer of that piece is is a Greek artist named Vangelis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name because <laughs> it's about eighty <laughs> syllables. <laughs> <laughs> And about 400 S's, but anyway. Uh, again, he's a really noted composer, and he can't even read music. What? Yeah, he plays all by pitch. <sighs> all right. Immature over, <laughs> over here. I guess. I'm sorry, John, you go ahead and play. <laughs> Ugh. Call me Shania Twain, because that ain't impressing me much. What? I think that's hugely impressive. <laughs> no. Because how are we supposed to, like, what if I want to play it? First of all, I don't, I don't have any musical well, talent again, whatsoever. Well, somebody, but somebody I can else, reach, somebody, at least, I can read sheet music. No, somebody else like him with perfect pitch kind of records it down. I mean, but he plays naturally. It's, it's. Uh, I find it extraordinary that it's got this natural gift in the in the language of music. I actually, mm, I have my <laughs> doubts, good sir. I have my doubts. <laughs> I, I say this as somebody who, who can't read music or play an instrument, so, <laughs> nor has has anywhere near perfect pitch, so. <laughs> fair enough fair enough yeah so i find that extraordinary but you're right and also that the final uh the final titles they this is a product of the 80s too i was wondering what who who what was the pioneer of this and why it became and why it became tradition for every 80s movie to do this or why it became perfunctory and that's showing the main actors uh when their name comes up, comes up in the final credits um i mean that's been something of kind of a relic since, like, the to, like sixties or 50s. Okay. Like, I've been, uh, yeah, I'm thinking back to, like, you know, the uh, kind of, like, early musicals, like, you know, the Music Man and stuff like that. It's like they would show quick little insert shots uh, of the characters and then, you know, as played by. And, um, yeah, I don't know why it had a big resurgence in the 80s, though. That is kind of interesting that you notice that. Yeah. I think just... of it more in kind of terms of comedy. I wouldn't, Yeah. I didn't think it was used a lot in dramatics, but you're right. They totally do that in this movie. Yeah, and it's a—I <laughs> um, forgot that they did that in the final closing moments, and it did remind me of that character, Aubrey. Who yeah. <laughs> it's, kinda, it's supposed to be a quartet of, of runners here, and one of them is just registers nothing. Exactly. And again, I thought the whole point of the movie was the rivalry between Eric and Harold. Yeah, and that's not—again, there's no big final race between them. No, Exactly yeah and I mean, and it's again an interesting... that final that final scene of them running on the beach it's like it's it has no context, oh yeah well, it's, it's just kind training. of like I a mean, nice what, what contrast you need <laughs> i I don't know, it's just like since that becomes the you know resting image of the whole piece, you'd think it have something to do with the story, oh I see, so yeah, there's an obvious sensation behind it of having this team of <laughs> lily white guys <laughs> in lily white uniforms <laughs> <laughs> running along the the cloudy the cloudy shores of england <laughs> to this inspirational music um yeah. that's a great sensational but you're right it doesn't have any it doesn't lend any context to the story it doesn't contribute to the story in any way no um, and So the other while thing... it works on a sensational level it doesn't work on a contextual or thematic level mm-hmm. and the other thing that bookends the movie is the funeral of eric yes. which doesn't register at all yeah, so it's a it's a framework story. I guess we should probably explain what what really begins the movie is the funeral of Eric Little, with mm-hmm. a eulogy delivered by Lord Lindsay. Um, mm-hmm. if, it, if there's one aspect of this movie where it doesn't excel, that's the old age makeup. I think that's why maybe these scenes were so short. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you're literally at the funeral like let me tell you about my friend cut back <laughs> yeah. whole movie cut back to the end of the funeral like for 5 seconds and then dun 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 it's yeah. like it was so superfluous yeah it wasn't well i mean if i guess they're trying to measure his 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 value as a person i guess uh, personally i would have done that with let's say let's let's go to china let's see like his actual missionary work there let's see the other uh, if anybody else was inspired by this nineteen twenty four team, this mm-hmm. nineteen twenty four Olympic team, like well, uh, maybe we could see those people. Instead, it's just a kind of like you said. It, yeah, it is a little token and probably unnecessary. But mm. I I don't I was... know. I mean, <laughs> I I I'm coming across like I hated this movie. I still really enjoy this movie actually, <laughs> in spite of how stolid it is. I mean, there's some craft to it. It's very oh, watchable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you say watchable. I. Mean... I that's one thing. Like again, it just does, it doesn't compel you, though, or it doesn't compel no, a general audience. like I said, it keeps you at arm's length. Yeah, yeah, and you it's... don't really get into these characters' heads at all. Yeah, and none of it with the, with the exception of maybe Eric, because again, he's the only one who's like really fraught yeah. with his feelings, or but, and yeah. gets an opportunity to explain them, whether to Jenny or the Olympic Committee or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and uh, well, yeah. and I think it's a good performance, as opposed to. Ben Cross is Harold <laughs> Abraham, who so I found on this viewing was a little uh, a little histrionic, mm, yeah, a little a little whiny. <laughs> Just, I mean, I think that is a good sign of his immaturity. I guess so. Yeah, you're right. Because again, he's only like 24. Yeah, so. Even Which though the sense. actor who plays him looks like he's, like, 36 or something. <laughs> well, that's just English people, John. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, don't... They're just Kids, weathered. don't start drinking at an early age like those Brits do. <laughs> that's the other kind of fascinating thing I love about this movie, though, is, like, the way they used to train, or how little it seemed like they gave a shit. It's just like, <laughs> hey, let's go running. What are you wearing? Khakis and slacks? Let's go. <laughs> Oh, yeah, All right, that's... we're done with our race. Give me a cigarette and a beer. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So they, <laughs> can you yeah, imagine they, Usain Bolt having that kind of like? <laughs> oh no! I mean, yeah, most Olympic athletes like, they they'll they'll shudder and, cr- and crumple into the fetal position if you if they even see a beer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're right. You're right about that. But I thought like they're still running ten second hundred meter dashes. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> like, true. They're, fa- yeah. they're faster than us. <laughs> mm. Fair point. Fair point. I guess yeah. who are we to judge? I know. <laughs> Actually, while we're speaking of credits, I, I just wanted to pull out this piece of '90s ephemera, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, upon rewatching it this time, I noticed in the opening credits the name uh, name comes up, Dodi Fayed. Okay. <laughs> you you don't remember Dodi Fayed? No. <laughs> <laughs> he had an affair with Princess Diana and died in the same car crash that she did. Oh. What did he do in the movie? <laughs> he was an executive producer. I I looked him up. I was I was stunned by that. I was I looked looked at the name in the credits. I'm like Dodi Fayed, oh. the guy who died in the car crash with Princess Di. And then um, it turns out he came from a rich family in Egypt. He he inherited a bunch of money and then became an executive producer on a bunch of films, including this one. Wait a minute. You're telling me <laughs> that this movie was produced by rich people with connections. <laughs> Yes, John, I, I know it's stunning, but yes, it, it turns out there was some nepotism in Hollywood. Again, this was the ultimate underdog story, and I feel like this <laughs> just undermines it completely. At any event, I, sorry, sorry for that little detour back into 1997. <laughs> Dream of well, the nine, Well, so the this reason, on this podcast. <laughs> sorry, go the ahead. The reason why we did this movie Yeah. is because it was recommended to us from our father, Paul Mantel. Well, don't give us full names. <laughs> why not? They don't are full names. Nice. Not explicitly. Anyway. <laughs> and ugh, now, having seen it, I'll have to ask him why he loves this movie so much. Mm. So let's go to that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> transition sound, transition sound, transition sound. <laughs> all
1: right. So, first of all, we're talking about a 1981 uh, sports classic. Okay. Uh, um, Chariots of Fire um, mm-hmm. with um, a phenomenal story. Uh, it could have been a documentary um, <laughs> about a famous British runner, Eric Waddell, and uh, his Jewish counterpart, um, Harold Abraham,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: set in the uh, late 19 uh, teens uh, through 1924. And it follows their life.
0: Okay. Um, but
1: very different upbringings.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, not kind of, but all right. Here's the thing, and you hit the nail right on the head. This is a sports movie, and what is the most important aspect of any sports movie? The
1: characters, the competition. I don't think you can pigeonhole it like that. John.
0: Well, okay, it's the fact that they have to be underdogs, and okay. these guys so, aren't underdogs. I, I so I never, was never I was I was
1: invested. Jewish, okay. Okay. And in in a in a British Christian society, mm-hmm. um, where he felt you know in that scene in the dormitory room where he felt uh he even described what he felt he felt the glance oh. and you know the <laughs> smug look and and eric liddell was a missionaries kid uh in scotland who couldn't train on sundays i guess he was a former rugby player um now, while his parents were missionaries, he did stay in Scotland with his brother and sister and go to school. Mm-hmm. So you could say he had some level of educational privilege because uh, he did go to great schools. Um, and and the records show, just for the record, uh, he was a very um, good scholar and a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was not well known. He was in northern Scotland, for crying out loud, not in the um, in the Tony areas of London and Cambridge. So... Oh. It was a great sports movie because it showed uh, their different approaches to how they trained. Um, you know, Eric Liddell was, you know, running in the hills and running on those beaches. And Harold Abraham, even though he went to Keys, a preps, a private college, he uh, employed a professional coach, which he took grief for.
0: I know, I know. Look, and I thought that was a very interesting aspect of the movie, the fact that he got grief for requiring a trainer. And it goes yep. back with that whole theme of religiosity. Like these.
1: Religiosity and amateur, the, the, yeah. the gift of amateurism. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great scene in the movie where uh, he and um, one of the other runners on the team uh, challenge the uh, courtyard run uh, before the clock can strike 12. Mm-hmm. And you have that great scene of the headmasters uh, looking out the window, watching them. Um, and Harold Abraham runs against a privileged uh, mm-hmm. Lindsay. <laughs> Uh, in the courtyard scene, and uh, they're watching the thing. They're watching the race unfold, and Lindsay, who's smoking a cigarette, you know, <laughs> just sort of shows up, throws off his robe, and says, "I think I'll run with my chap the friend." <laughs> and they run the courtyard, and then the one headmaster turns to the other and says, "Oh, perhaps they are God's chosen." No,
0: <laughs> all right. But that was so, like I felt like that was the only scene where we see his like Jewishness kind of get talked about. Yeah, maybe he gets a few glances, but it's not like he gets turned down for any jobs.
1: It was a a great scene because he says, um, uh, what do you know about him? He says, well, he's Jewish. Mm -hmm. And he says, um, and his father is a financier. Financier. He says, (laughs) what do you think that means? He goes, I suppose he lends money. (laughs) So there's almost an ignorance about what his father does because it's the dirty business of money. Exactly, yeah.
0: And again, he's Jewish, so obviously he would do finance.
1: (laughs) Right, of course. And, you know, these two education academic snobs are like, oh, it's the dirty world of money. And what's interesting is, as you learn in the movie later on, um, that Harold Abraham does not go into his father's business. He goes into the world of amateur sports Mm -hmm. um, for his career, and he pushes uh, British athletics and British amateurism. And um, not to get too far ahead, but at the end of the movie, He's honored in an English church.
0: That is true. That's I mean, I did read that he converted later on in life. Now, yeah. whether he did that by choice or he felt like he had to, you know, that'll be left up for the history books. But you're right, you're right. That is an important aspect of the movie. I just, I have never got invested for a second because, again, it's like you think about movies like Breaking Away or Rocky, and, you know, the fact that we're so invested in their sports careers is because this is the last chance they have. Because if they don't get this, they have no fallback. And-
1: well, let's examine you know, part of the story. So part of the story is the young Christian runner, Eric Liddell, mm-hmm. whose father's a missionary. He's training to be a missionary with his brother and his sister. And he's out training um, with his coach. And he's late for church meetings. And he's late for Sunday school. And he's late for church. And his sister is just giving him nonstop grief about this. And... And, you know, one of the most poignant movies, points of the movie is when Eric Liddell has to take his sister for a walk to say, Jenny, don't frighten yourself. <laughs> and he explains what his, um, what his calling is mm-hmm. and how he feels God's purpose when he runs. And to me, that is a turning point in the movie because he says that he's made a decision to become a missionary, but first... wants to run in the Olympic Games okay so and and even his coach who's talking to Eric's brother says um, what a great witness he is because he's a strong Christian he's not one of these wimpy you know (laughs) bible thumpers Um, and that's a great that's another great little scene so I think the character development is great in it because here you have this guy who in you know early 20th century England um, would have been viewed as a wimpy, wimpy Christian. And even the coach and his brother says, it's nice for you to be seen as a strong Christian, you know? Mm. And they're really, meaning physically strong. But he's spiritually strong, too, because that gets put to the test as he goes on his way to the Olympic Games and finds out that his trials might be on Sunday.
0: That's true. That is you true. Know?
1: And they're on a boat. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're on a boat crossing the English Channel, going to Paris. And his faith is put to the test, at least how he views his faith which is i keep the sabbath holy and i do not run on sundays and that's when the heat
0: sucks
1: so great great scene in the
0: movie okay you're right no it's it's got a few it's got a few great scenes i get that but overall i felt like it was a little middling that's all middling i thought it was middling i thought it was middling i thought it was handsome but again like because it's hard to get invested when, because I thought the idea of the movie and what they were playing around with was, was the rivalry between our two main characters, which is Abraham's and uh, Liddell. I thought it was going to be about their kind of rivalry and their relationship, but they don't really interact much in the movie.
1: Well, there's that right, there's that scene you know about a third of the way in the movie, and the very first time um, Harold Abraham sees Liddell run, and and Liddell falls down. In the middle of a race and catches up and wins and harold abraham is watching him and he's literally gripping a piece of paper and crinkling it because he realizes how strong this competitor is and he says i've never seen anybody run with such drive yeah and he only saw him run with such drive because he saw him fall <laughs> and then catch everybody and it was only a 400 meter race and 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 uh, and even Harold Abraham's coach, who runs to the side, says says to Eric Liddell's coach, "Don't ever let anything happen to this guy. He's one of a kind." You know, like you know, it's uh, it's so it's an interesting. Um,
0: I yeah, I thought that scene was fine, but I needed more of that. I wanted more. You know, like I yeah. really wanted. I mean, this movie is like two hours long. We only get one scene like that. Come on, we needed more scenes like that.
1: Well, you know, you had a little bit of it. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, right. you know they don't come together again until the end when each Mm -hmm. of them wins a gold medal one of them in the 100 meters and one in the 400 meters Mm -hmm. the other kind of poignant scene which really doesn't happen in the end you know they're running against the Americans in the Paris Olympic Games and the Americans are the cream of the crop you know they've got Jackson Schultz and and so they are they are the odds on favorite to win everything Mm -hmm. and um, the American runners are certainly watching Liddell as he's refusing to run in the heats and so uh lord Lindsay, who's sort of a privileged uh lot from their class yeah he's the uh, he says the brat. Oh, but if he just runs my event i've already gotten a medal right mm-hmm. yeah so um a little bit of socialism there right <laughs> and so liddell says sure i'll i'll run the 400 so he's a hundred meter runner and he runs two heats in the day and does very well to get into the finals and two americans are running are, are talking and uh, or, or one of the American runners is talking to the coach and says what do you think about this little little guy and the coach says don't worry about it he's run two races already he's a flyer he's a sprinter he's gonna die and by 300 meters rigamortus will set in <laughs> and then uh, you know one of the other American runners comes by and says to his teammate who's running against him he says watch out for a little and he goes why coach says no problem and he says well he goes he's got something to prove something coach doesn't understand <laughs> And then uh, he gives him um, a Bible verse on a scrap of paper and says, um, you know, he who honors me, I will honor. And so Liddell crumples it up just like Harold <laughs> Abraham did. He runs. He crumples it up and runs with it. He
0: runs with it the whole race, which.
1: The whole race. And he wins the race, which is unheard of for a 100 meter runner to win a 400 meter race. I mean, it's unheard of. It's like. A sprinter winning a marathon for mm-hmm. you know, and um, and sure enough, he's honored by his teammates, and including Harold Abrams. So it's a you know it's a very um, there's so many you know little things in the movie, um, and I'm sorry I'm going back in the movie, but you know even while he's training and racing, um, he's working you know preaching you mm-hmm. know in churches yeah and and uh, preaching on the sidelines. And, you know, after a race, after he's showered and gotten changed and there's people around that want to hear him speak. So he's he's somewhat famous, um, at least from an evangelical standpoint, he's somewhat famous.
0: I mean, so, I would have liked to seen him in China and see how he kind of interacts. with I thought that was an interesting aspect of the story that it kind of left out. I would have yeah. liked to see him on the mission.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up, I think, dying during World War Two in uh, 1944. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was 20 years after the Olympics, so he was a missionary for twenty years because he left and and ran the mission in China. So, um, but during World War II, I think it was when he was killed in nineteen forty. I think that's his biography said he was killed in forty four. Okay. So, but you see all sorts of conversions here. You see the conversion of his sister. You see the conversion of um, the uh, political elite who, who realize that he's got he's a man of principle. Mm-hmm. You know, they try and convince him to run on a Sunday, and he goes, "No, I'm not going to do it." <laughs> And um, you know, even the political elite say, "My God, he! Thank goodness he's got some principles." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he even, he even there's lots of conversions going on, um, and that's based on his character.
0: Well, even Abraham's converts because he thinks he doesn't need a trainer, and he eventually acquiesces to that.
1: True. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: He's definitely yeah. a much different runner from the beginning than he is at the end. So.
1: Yep played up his love interest as well i'm trying to remember her name what was her name again i
0: i can't remember she was the opera singer she was singing yeah, uh and, they uh, he sees her when they're uh singing they're at a performance of the meccano so
1: right and of mm-hmm. course he gets her and all of his friends say oh it figures he gets her
0: right
1: <laughs> um sybil her name is sybil. that's right sybil and oh, uh you know she's a, quite a famous singer mm-hmm. and uh to, to the point when they do go out on a date and go out to dinner, um, you know, everybody applauds when she walks mm-hmm. into the restaurant. Mm-hmm.
0: Bravo, bravo. Uh,
1: right, <laughs> all right. So uh, it, is, it is kind of an interesting, uh, you know, uh, place where she uh, has a date, you know, mm-hmm. with him at a, at a dinner date. So
0: Yeah. Um, no, I mean, there's a lot of good aspects to the movie. I think it could have just used a little more focus because honestly there's a lot of interesting aspects about their backgrounds that i feel like it kind of gets the short shrift like you kept talking about Lindsay, and i don't think the movie does enough with him i think he kind of comes in and out of the movie as we kind of need him to be like again that final scene where or towards the end where he kind of comes in it's like oh we'll just swap events and you know we do get that great scene where we see him practicing the hurdles and he places little champagne glasses on all the hurdles and if one, if one splashes, then he knows he's done a bad job. Right. But, you know, he's also kind of boring. He's, he's definitely the most privileged, and he is the most kind of cocky, and doesn't really need to learn right. anything. I don't think he learns anything. He doesn't go through any kind of transformation.
1: Then there's the, uh, then there's the steeple taste runner who is uh, Abraham's roommate, Aubrey Montague. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even um, Harold Abraham describes him. Aubrey, you're my most complete man. You're so content, right? Remember when they're sitting in the dorm room? Yeah,
0: he's almost like in
1: awe that his roommate is so content. How is it this man can be so content? And he falls during the hurdle, uh, during the steeple chase, and he's all muddy. And you know he doesn't finish in the medals. He finishes in the middle. So he's every man. He's all of us, right? Mm-hmm. None of us win Olympic gold medal, but Aubrey is the working class guy who goes to keys. Um, you know, this great school, mm-hmm. and and he's just, like, you and me, he's funny. Yeah, Unlike Lord Lindsay, who, again, he has the servant, but mm-hmm. the glasses on the hurdles <laughs> while he's working out, right? Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful lawn, right? There's horses in the background. <laughs> His father's trying out a bicycle, and he goes, he has that snip line, he goes, I don't know if father will ever learn to ride that thing. <laughs>
0: I mean, he has a driver for crying out loud at this, at this period in time.
1: Right. No, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great scene. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so when I think of conversions, when you think about Eric Liddell's purpose in life, his his job as a missionary was to convert people. Mm -hmm. And I thought you saw a lot of conversions in the movie. Um, Even uh, Harold Abraham converting to being a more complete uh, person when he uh, gets Sybil, the opera singer, as a girlfriend. And and she sort of chides him because he's he's kind of a sore loser. When he loses, uh, he's kind of a sore loser. So he learns how to be a good winner
0: too. Yeah. yeah. So, Again, I wish the movie did more more with that because you could tell that there's this underlying theme that Abraham's runs because he has this obsession, and he needs cool. to do it. And you kind of get that sense that he's pushing Sybil away, but it doesn't really come to anything because she still you know she still stays, she still dotes around him. And I don't know, I just. I don't know. Maybe I'm expecting too much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I don't know the name of the actress, but she was uh, she was a she was a great actress. Um, and mm-hmm. then, of course, you know you don't hear much. You know the the, the cast as they cast this movies, um, other than John Gilgand, mm-hmm. uh who plays the master, one of the headmasters. Um, this is for the most part um, first first. Of films for a lot of these British actors um and Hmm. and you know you don't see much of them well Ian Holmes in the movie he plays uh he plays Coach Mississippi oh yeah Um, so you don't see a lot Brad Davis was in the movie he plays an American runner Mm -hmm. and Dennis Christopher who was in who was the lead character in Breaking Away he's in the movie Mm -hmm. so um a bunch of really I don't want to say no name actors but you know new young fresh actors um the, the guy that played Lord Lindsay, was his very first film. I saw an interview with him, and uh, it was his very first film. And he said the worst part of making a film was all the running he had to do. <laughs> he said the director would go, all right, do it again. Do it again. So um, he and said that, it was very tiring, but he said he was in the best shape of his life after the movie.
0: Well, they all look, they all look great in slow motion, so.
1: That's right. Anything can look good in slow motion. So, i'm surprised you didn't like the music because i thought the music you know had to blend in with the time i guess with, i thought it i thought know, it dated that it was motion well now had- i
0: maybe if the movie fit the and again we get a lot of gilbert and sullivan in this movie maybe if the score matched the 1920s kind of setting instead of the current 1980s even though we do get a little flashback scene uh or the whole movie is kind of a flashback in and of itself. I feel like it would have been more time appropriate if the music reflected the current era instead of the era it, the movie was coming out in. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Because right I, I think the it kind of dates it when it does that.
1: Yeah, I think um, I don't remember who it was up against in 1981, but mm-hmm. I think Hugh Hudson could have won uh, best director because of all the different aspects of the movie and the you know it's and I do think it's a timeless movie because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it goes back to a, it's a historical movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they took a lot of license. Um, you know, some documentaries or some docudramas take a lot of license and go, well, "I don't know if that ever happened." <laughs> but I think for sure this uh, was was pretty true to true yeah. to the uh, to the real events that happened. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, with the exception of Lord Lindsay, who uh, they couldn't, he's based on a real person, but they didn't use his name because he didn't want to be included in the movie. So (laughs) that's not the uh, real person's name that he's based off. Oh, is that true? Yeah, that's true. Uh, Hold on. Let me look up. uh, Yeah, the Lord David uh, Burgley. So he's the real person, but they changed his name to Lord Lindsay because he famously didn't want to be part of this movie. Oh, Yeah
1: that I did not know
0: I think he ended up regretting it because he saw the final product and he was like oh this is a really good movie <laughs> yeah right alright well I'm glad you like it dad that's what's important
1: <laughs> well you know again it's uh, it's it's a it's you know it, it does fall under a sports movie mm-hmm. because it involves it involves the great the great sport of running I know and um, so and you know unlike many you know Many sports movies involve the underdog.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know, Kevin Costner was an underdog in um, uh, Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Don't build this field. You know, he's got his banker telling him, you're going to foreclose on your property. Yeah, And, you know, he's so, you know, that's an, that's got an underdog. But in many ways, you know, Abrams was an underdog because he was Jewish, and Liddell was an underdog because he was a devout Christian. Mm. Uh, so I do think there's an underdog aspect to it. Okay. And, the fact that they come from such differing parts of the faith community, um, I think, makes, it, makes the contrast and the conversions later on mm-hmm. uh, all the more poignant. All right.
0: You, so, you raised some very good points, Father. Well,
1: every once in a while, I get one or two. <laughs> so are there uh, uh, anything else we need to talk about?
0: I think we're good, Dad. Thank you so much for okay. taking the time. <laughs> okay. Well, John, that was a great conversation with our father. Yes, it was. And so uh, I I hope we could do that again. I hope we can bring in another voice. <laughs> yeah. Why? In spite of our world class chemistry, I think we do need a third or maybe fourth opinion on these on this stuff. You know, just excuse you know. me. <laughs> <laughs> what well, are the only sorry. opinions that matter? <laughs> Thanks, John. But uh, I'm sorry you did not enjoy this film. I I had a, <laughs> I had a, a sneaky suspicion you would find it a bit uh, stodgy and boring, and uh, turns out those those fears were realized. <laughs> <laughs> exactly well, I, I apologize i there there again, there's some craft to this movie. It's mm-hmm. obviously very well done. I just think there's no driving engine to the story. It's you know, I love the criticism that um Stephen King always had to the shining. It's a beautiful Cadillac with no engine okay yeah, um I well. In spite of that I find I find it's a it's a small engine, but I find it a very compelling engine and that's in the characters of It's Eric a small Liddell. underpowered engine. Maybe yes, it's a small underpowered engine. Yes. I feel like it, it could have used more power. They could have stuck a bigger motor in there. Mm-hmm. But in spite of that I still find it compelling. What makes it go is uh, the great characters of Eric Little and or the great performance by uh, Ian Charleston as Eric Little and that's what that's what kept me going and kept me compelled, so okay. Fair enough. So where does the power come from? to see the race to its end, from within. Come on, little. Jenny. I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. disagree you know where agree. we won't agree to disagree what's that is the way we end every episode spotlight 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 spotlight, spotlight.
1: it's time robbie it's time
0: i wish people i, I john we should do a video component because i just did a, a bunch of jazz hands here i'm doing I'm i doing, did too i did too <laughs> see what people are missing oh they're not missing anything <laughs> i'm i'm in my underwear right now I, I hope no no cameras are on me this is embarrassing <laughs> let's get our minds off that image john what do you have for spotlight over my break i've been Mm -hmm. uh, devouring a youtube show okay a youtube program i don't know what to call them youtube YouTube videos just make it seem so i don't know that's such it's such an interesting thing that that prefix youtube yeah like it's a it's such a weird qualifier um Mm -hmm. because these are things that get viewed millions of times and have a huge impact but or it should have a huge impact, but people like you and me, and maybe anybody over the age of like 17 is like, what? <laughs> that's just a show, right? Yeah. That's okay. okay. That's that mm-hmm. little pocket, that little corner of the internet. That's fine. Let them have that. Exactly. But I've been binge watching a little YouTube show called No Small Parts. Have you heard of this, Greg? Oh, yeah. I thought it was, um, I didn't know it was YouTube. I thought it was originally a, uh, uh, an IMDB joint. Oh, no, so what ended up happening was IMDb approached him and said, hey, would you like to do smaller segments exclusive to our website? Oh, I see. Yeah, so he's been doing this since uh, um, 2014. Okay. Yeah. All right, I didn't know that. Yeah, but I do, I do like this show. I do like, uh, well, I, I like the little digestible chunks they stick on IMDb. I've seen those, but I've never. Are, oh, are no, they... he does full 20-minute videos exploring, like, the whole careers of famous character actors. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the guy who does it is uh, Brandon Hartsley, and um, he's an actor himself. Uh, he hasn't been in anything super notable, no, which he'll no. freely admit. <laughs> well, he has a good voice, though. I mean, he narrates these, so... Exactly. He's got a good voice, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he elevates all those National Lampoon things he's been in, but... <laughs> hey, Bandcamp 4, <laughs> American Pie Presents Bandcamp 4 was, I think, the best of the series. <laughs> But um, so yeah, he explores the car- lives and careers of certain character actors, uh, character actors and actresses. Mm-hmm. For instance, his first episode that he did was all about Anne Ramsey, who you might recognize from The Goonies and Throw Mama from the Train. Yeah, and uh, he really goes in depth. Uh, there's a huge kind of like '80s '90s bias. <laughs> I think. <don't... laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, it's maybe it's the footage he can get exactly it's the it's the easier footage to get yeah and also i i think he has a proclivity to kind of go after people who have already kind of died sadly just so Mm. we can kind of get the whole picture of their careers and also there have been a few times where he's gotten things wrong such as famously um he did and i think it was an hour long i never got a chance to see it before he took it down but he did an hour-long episode on james hong oh yeah uh again one of the most notable character actors um Yes. Also, uh, being a Chinese-American, like, you mm-hmm. know, always kind of the perfunctory man you cast as, uh, <laughs> whether it be, like, Lu Pan or something like that. or mm-hmm. So he did, a, like, an hour-long episode on James Hong, which rightfully deserves. He's got over 400 credits. Yeah. But James Hong basically contacted him directly and was basically like, hey, I appreciate it, but, you know, you got a few things wrong. And also, uh, I'm planning on doing, like, a kind of full-length, you know, feature, basically an autobiographical documentary. To you know, and it'd be nice if you know you could just take it down. So he just took it down at his okay. request. Yeah, it wasn't like a huge dramatic thing, and it's kind of interesting. Like doing these, he actually has gotten in touch with the people he's done the videos about. He did uh, the other famous one. He did was he did one for Crispin Glover. Okay, and Crispin Glover actually got in contact with him and explained the whole backstory of what happened in between Back to the Future and Back to the Future too. <laughs> okay. Which he didn't go into full detail with, but he was like, "It is way more complicated than any of us could possibly imagine." <laughs> yeah, I well, yeah, and, well, uh, not to not to besmirch the good name of Crispin Glover, but he's a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> no, absolutely, he is. Still yeah, and really I knew there was. Yeah, yeah, I knew there was some difficulty between him and Robert Zemeckis when it came to the Back of the Future sequels. But that's what's so great about this show is the fact that you know you look at the whole work of Crispin Glover and you can see how avant-garde he is. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, he's a, kind of a true artist, um, for good or for ill. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you, uh, yeah, Google, Google his David Letterman appearances; those are, <laughs> those are theater. <laughs> well, he has an, he has kind of an interesting explanation for what happened there. So okay, yeah, yeah. but uh, another great episode is uh, Pete Postlethwait. Pete, oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, you may remember him. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Pete <laughs> Shut up. You may remember me. <laughs> you may remember him. Uh, most famously, or one of his last roles was as a, uh, I think Harry is his name in the town. He's the crime lord in the town mm-hmm. that's got Ben Affleck under his thumb. He was also in The Lost World Jurassic Park as a as a big game hunter. Mm-hmm. To collect uh, my fee, Mr. Lapone, To collect
1: my fee. Yeah,
0: I think he was nominated for an Oscar. I think for In the Name of the Father, but I think I was yeah kind of his little break. That's yeah. that's his kind of. He usually takes like again the big movie that they've either been nominated for or they're most famous for. Yeah, and kind of starts from that point and then works his way backwards all the way to forwards. Yeah. So obviously, In the Name of the Father is kind of Pete Pothelswaite's big kind of performance. But he also talks a lot about a movie, which I'm really interested in seeing, called Brastoff. Have you ever heard of this movie? No. It's got a young Ewan McGregor in it. It's about a a coal mining town. They basically agreed to kind of shut down the mine because, again, it's not really profitable. And so kind of as a as a way to kind of lift their spirits, they start a brass band, and okay. Pete Postlethwaite plays the uh, you know conductor. Okay. And so he's got a nice, uh... he's got a great uh, North North brogue. Crap, also crap. you knew it. Sounds like the prequel to the full Monty. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> why didn't th- Why didn't this get the Oscar attention in any event? <laughs> exactly, well, um, but it's a it's a great series, uh, especially if you're a film lover. So I highly recommend it. Okay, yeah, I had no idea there was a longer version of it. Like, obviously, you see you see it in, if you follow INDB on Facebook or go to their homepage, you see the video links up there, and they're little, like, two- to three-minute digestible chunks, but I didn't mm-hmm. know, yeah, there was a whole kind of longer format to it. So now I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, check it out. So, so thank you, John. Yeah, He's got, got one tr- coming. I'm really excited for his next one. His next one's going to be Keith David. <laughs> That's true. Oh. You shared you shared with me the trailer for that. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> My favorite character actor of all time. Mm. I was just gonna say, one thing we don't know about Keith David, he's got pipes. Uh I knew that. <laughs> if you didn't, you're a fool. The well, only thing Keith David can't do is what Keith David hasn't tried. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I was I was a late comer to the Princess and the Frog, but little, little did I know. <laughs> That evil doctor just belting out stuff. I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa, this is a whole new. Do- We've reached the fifth dimension here. What do you have for spotlight, Greg? Well, I have a movie that kind of came and went last year. It was supposed to garner Oscar attention, didn't. But um, I think it's a it's a fine little respectable movie. Respectable. <laughs> respectable movie. It's a respectable. Yes, it's a respectable. It just contains respecta- all the respect. It's a respectable spectacle. <laughs> Although it's not really spectacular. It's The Founder, Oh. starring Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's available now on Netflix. And, you know, if you like a little history lesson, go ahead and check it out. All right. Yeah, so it's... I've been it's, made uh, to watch that. Yeah, it's it's uh, most analogous to, and I think this is what they pitched it as, uh, The Social Network, a movie I adore. Mm. And it's not as good as that because uh, the uh, <laughs> the director, John Lee Hancock, is nowhere near the filmmaker that David Fincher is. <laughs> uh, but is uh, Michael Keaton a better actor? than one jesse eisenberg i think we can emphatically say yes uh also also no but what excuse me (laughs) excuse me well blasphemy his his accent keeps coming and going okay he's kind of got this he's kind of got some scenes he kind of talks uh normal and hunched over the way michael keaton does (laughs) and in other scenes he's got this uh this irascible uh uh midwestern affect this illinois affect (laughs) Well, that's just his sales pitchy voice. Yeah, you know? maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what you could pitch that inconsistency as. Um, <laughs> what I really like is actually the performances of uh, Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch as the McDonald's brothers, the original founders mm-hmm. of McDonald's. And mm-hmm. so, what the story is that Ray Kroc, who was a, just a, a a lackluster salesman, a, a, a kind of a mediocre. You know, average dude selling milkshake machines out of the back of his car. Yeah, exactly. He was just a mediocre mm-hmm. salesman. You know, decides, hey, let's let's franchise this McDonald's, and um, that's re- that's really compelling there from history, is just because I had no idea that <laughs> he comes to McDonald's and they're wary of it, and it turns out it's because they've already tried franchising and failed. Ah, yeah, and so um, through his sheer moxie, um, Ray Kroc <laughs> is able to franchise this idea all around the Midwest, uh, much to the chagrin of and uh consolidating power behind it and so much of the chagrin of the mcdonald's brothers and so again maybe maybe not the most uh, like chariots of fire not the most dramatic movie in the world mm. um john lee hancock seems allergic to setting setting the camera at a different angle other than straight on <laughs> you know if you knew like if he knows like high angle and low angle that like kind of enhances the drama slightly i suppose especially if you've got those golden arches you need to point up to those golden arches yeah absolutely Instead, instead we just see everything flat, flat and wide. <laughs> it goes with the whole midwestern aesthetic. It's yeah, just flat. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. But uh, I think a a pretty good screenplay by Robert Siegel, who used to be the editor of the Onion. Huh. Yeah. So um, he also did the Wrestler, a movie that which I also really like. Does it have any satirical elements? Not really. It's it's pretty. A, it's a pretty straightforward drama. No. Oh. Yeah, so... <laughs> I was hoping for, you know, those great lines like, this McDonald's, you'll never see it anywhere else. <laughs> this thing will be closed in two months. You bet my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, there is, and that's the that's the decision to uh, do powdered milkshakes with no actual milk in them. Ah. Uh. Yeah. And that's a little title card that comes up at the very end, I think, in, like, 2000, <laughs> 2014, <laughs> McDonald's actually went back to putting milk in their milkshakes. <laughs> great. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting little history lesson. Okay. Yeah. And you know, just a great cast. Uh, they all do a pretty good job. I, I, again, in spite of Michael Keaton's uh, kind of strange central performance. But you know, I'd, I'd give it a thumbs up. Okay. Trademark fair Ebert Corporation. <laughs> Ebert Corporation. I don't know whatever. I don't know whatever his holdings is now that he's passed. Sadly passed away. But it is trademarked, well, John. Just just be careful that those thumbs are trademarked. Okay. Yep. Fine. Well, they're de- decomposing now. Nice. <laughs> You brought it up, not me. I do. Uh, Roger Ebert is a national treasure. I apologize. (laughs) On that cheery note, social media. (laughs) You can reach out to us on Twitter. Start following us. And then you can like our Facebook page, the Asmiring Snobs Podcast Facebook page. Yes. Also, we're available on nearly every podcasting platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Uh, We might be available on the radio, if we can pirate on a signal or two. We keep trying. Cause yes. It's difficult. <laughs> I know it's hard. Technology is so hard. It is, especially antiquated, like like AM waves. <laughs> Speaking of antiquated technology, you could always email us at aspiringsnobs uh, antiqui- Excuse com. me. Just use your hunt and pack and go. Dear podcasters, <laughs> I enjoyed your program. Thank you for all the joy you give. Stop. Love. <laughs> Love, Grandma. <laughs> stop (laughs) send this to western union as a as a little footnote we were very delighted to see one of our biggest fans uh both in life and in the podcast and that's our bumma yes Mm -hmm. love you bumma love you bumma on that wonderful note thank you everybody for listening and until next time keep inspired